0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The dream is made
1: real. Ricky Holt rocks the
0: world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger than I
2: another episode of btr boxing Podcasts career profiles and today's episode as voted for by you the listeners to the podcast is the career of michael jinx spinks really excited to be breaking the career of one of the greatest light heavyweights of all time with johnson brown as always but before we get into it Please go and check us out on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook. And if you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. It really, really helps us. So let's go in to this episode as voted for by you, the listeners of the podcast and the users on Twitter This is the career profile of Michael Jinx Spinks. So this is it then, Johnston. We've been waiting to do this for a little while. It's the career profile of Michael the Jinx Spinks. Really looking forward to sitting down with you here and, and breaking through his career and, and his life as well, of course, because it wasn't only a fighter in the light heavyweight division, he was in the heavyweight division, but he also had trials and tribulations outside of the ring, which we'll get into over the course of this episode. And the only, the only place we can begin was where it all started for him when he was born on July the 13th, 1956.
1: Yes. Yes, he was. Uh, he, he grew up in St. Louis. Uh, a bit of a bleak neighbourhood. Um, it was a. It, it basically, the Spinks brothers grew up in a notorious uh, housing project, which is the pruitt Igor housing projects, famous for its poverty, crime and uh, racial segregation. Uh, first occupied in 1954 and demolished famously with explosions. You can find it on YouTube. It's, it's quite interesting, the projects um, in the mid-1970s. So he, he, you know, he had a difficult upbringing with his family, living in, uh, living in a hard area, basically, and a difficult time. Um, so, you know, him and his brother, they had, they had their own uh, problems in and around with, with gangs. Um, I've, I've got a quote here. Where he sort of said, uh, he got beat up by gangs, uh, different people's friends, Leon Beat. They would ask if, if uh, you're Leon's brother and then they would slap him in the face. Um, he said, they taught me well by beating me up and I learned how to fight. So um, that was before he even stepped in the gym, but it was, it was a difficult life for him from the very start.
2: It was, and when you go back to that early beginning for, for both the brothers there, obviously a very difficult period of time for them to be growing up in with all the racial segregation that was going on, and Boxing, for, for both brothers, was was a massive escape for them both. It was a massive way to get them away from that street life and, and, and away from going down the wrong route of potentially going into all sorts of, of criminal activities. And and this was perfect for these guys because, obviously, they'd been brought up on the street. They'd had to learn to fend for themselves on the street as a result of the situations going on at the time. So the best thing for them to do was to get into that boxing gym, of course, and, and that's what they did. But both of them... But for Michael, you know, Michael was was a little bit more of a of the quieter Spinks brother. He was the one that kind of just got on with things, whereas obviously Leon was a little bit more brash. So for for, for Michael, this was a way for him to defend himself this was a way for him to, to get himself off the streets and get himself into something that taught him a discipline and, and taught him respect and, and that's exactly what he did and obviously he, he had a talent from a very early age and as the years went by and he started to become more prevalent in in the boxing gym you know he, he eventually worked his way into a position where he got himself into one of the most famous olympics uh, especially for the for the team usa of course was the 1976 olympics it was where I think Michael Spinks' his name first came to, to prominence uh, as a as a fighter and, and, and as a person. The same with his brother as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean I mean just just before that, I mean he did mention a guy when I was sort of doing my homework, he mentioned a guy called uh, Jim Merle who basically taught him uh, the basics of boxing, so sort of taught him how to use his speed and how to bob and weave and it was actually there was a funny story that he put out there, um in something I listened to uh, sort of recently and he did say that it was Leon who actually initially went to the gym um, and then he told sort of Michael that you know I'd gone to the gym um, and learnt a few bits and then uh, basically Leon uh, put it on him showed him a few moves and uh and basically, Mike even says that, you know, he actually ended up whipping his ass a little bit. And it was from that that, that Mike decided, you know what, the very next day, he literally went and went to the gym with Leon. And um, it was always uh, quite impressive, his brother. He always looked up to him and uh, he sort of said that he progressed a bit quicker than he did. But, you know, they both obviously, you know, with very good Amateur background. I mean, he he would uh, he'd done really well in, in the Golden Gloves. Um, you know, he had uh, I think he won the 1976 middleweight national Golden Gloves championship in Miami. Before eventually going to, as you say, Montreal in 1976, which is famous for the fact that, um, you know, it was probably one of the best USA boxing teams. If, you know, it, I'm guessing it's probably one of the best ever, um, possibly the best. Uh, there was obviously you had the Spinks brothers in there um, who um, both won. A gold medal, um, and you uh, also had Sugar Ray Robinson in there as well, um, and Leon Randolph as well as Howard Davis Jr. So it was it, they all won gold medals in Montreal, um, and and Mike obviously you know he was a bit fortunate with how it with how it panned out for him. I think he got about three buys. I think he got a buy in the first round, and then won the second, and then a buy in the third and the fourth round. So he ended up having to face the uh, the Soviet guy in the final, who he had actually lost to several months before, and and obviously done the business.
2: He certainly did. His amateur. Career- career is actually quite a well established one when you when you talk about it he actually compiled a record of 93 wins with 7 losses on his record which is you know in terms of the amateur side of the sport is really really good because it's very controversial very difficult you know decisions can go either way all the time with, with the amateur side of the sport so his accolades sort of ranged from winning the 1974 like light, light middleweight National Golden Gloves Championships he made it to the finals of the 1975 National AAU League. Losing to Tommy Brooks. Uh, as you were saying earlier, he won the 1976 and middleweight national golden gloves, uh, and then obviously went to the 1976 Olympic Games in Montreal and won the middleweight gold medal for the United States. And when you go back to, 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 to what we've spoke about before with the likes of, of Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, I think you was mentioning as Sugar Ray Robinson a little bit earlier on. Uh, oh, you know, goodness. Sugar. <laughs> Sugar... <laughs> hey, I tell you what, Sugar Ray Robinson was one hell of a fight. But bloody hell, he wouldn't have been <laughs> able to do that in 1976, that's for sure. <laughs> so, Sh- Sugar Ray Leonard obviously was was one of the biggest stars to come out of that 1976 Olympics, and and Leon also seemed to get the fame as well out of the back of it. But Michael didn't. I think the strange thing about this story and this career profile is, with the Olympics behind him and, and obviously him winning that gold medal, he returned to work. Returned to work in a chemical factory in St. Louis, scrubbing floors and cleaning toilets. And that was something that I've never, I'd never really known about Michael Spinks, you know, his life and his career until I started to really dig into it, you know, for this episode. And I was really shocked to sort of see that, you know, out of all the fighters over the years we've seen in the Olympics, you know, this guy was just humble to the fact that he, he just decided, right, well... You know, I've got I've got nothing at the end of this gold medal. There was no one screaming for him to turn him professional. It was just a case of I've won the Olympic gold medal. I'll go back to my day job at the chemical factory, and that was absolutely crazy. It's crazy to even think about that now. In this day and age, of course, with every product of of the Olympics coming out of it, they all eventually turn over within twelve to eighteen months of of competing, and and the contracts are always there for them, but this was a different era and different period of time and it wasn't always there for everybody. So we've seen the success of Sugar Ray Leonard getting all these big contracts and all this money off the back of it. And then there's Michael Spinks, who just went to go back to his minimum wage job, which was, again, a bit of a strange one.
1: Yeah, it really was. Um, I mean, I know he, he did go back obviously back to his job and he, he cared for his mum. I don't think his mum was too well, so it was, was like her main carer as well. And I did find a quote where he actually said that... Um, Uh, I didn't want to turn pro right away. Um, I didn't think I would make it as a pro. Maybe the Lord meant for me to do this and cash in on my gold medal. It stands alone for me it was the beginning and of course i had my brother leon with me so i think for him he you know he always sort of looked up to his brother and i think he felt that leon was the better fighter and he, he, he just the way you see it was leon can go into the pro game and he's going to support him uh which is what he did he, he uh he was sort of his his right hand man really he, he was spying with him and just sort of you know what he could and just helping out his brother so he was sort of being a, a support for leon rather than thinking about turning pro himself and obviously with his man not being well, he'd become sort of her main carer. And it was, uh, it was Butch Lewis that actually uh, was the one that sort of kept ringing him. Um, and he did keep calling uh, Mike on a regular basis. Um, and Spinks actually joked, he said, uh, I don't know how he got my number. He'd call and say, you about ready to go pro? Which Mike would reply, no, not yet. And then after about six months, Mike eventually decided it was time and uh, and he told Butch, he said, uh, let's go and uh, let's let, let's turn pro basically. And, and Butch uh, Lewis was actually uh, he was uh, Bob Arum's uh, top rank uh, vice president, so that's who he was working with at the time. That was before he went out on his own in 1978. So uh, obviously he turned pro in '77. But yeah, it was it was Butch Lewis that that obviously sees something in Mike that Mike didn't see, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to keep testing this kid because I think he's going to do great things. And and he was right. And, um, yeah, he turned pro uh, April 16th in 77, uh, first fight against
2: uh, Eddie Benson. So let's just explore that relationship with, with Butch Lewis because that was a very significant relationship throughout his career and I'm not going to jump too forward in terms of his, his career itself, in terms of fights etc but I mean the, more so the relationship with Butch, obviously it was Butch that got him in to, to go in professional but Butch wasn't, wasn't just a guy that was, was getting him into the professional game, he was a guy that was looking after his career for for the majority of that of that career and making the, the sort of right investments and although this is not a career profile of, of Leon Spinks he's going to heavily feature him because of, of the comparisons of the two brothers really you know Butch Lewis was there to guide Michael Spinks his career and guide his finances and as we explore later on how things ended up in the early days he, he, he managed his finance so well that it really helped get Michael on the path for a future outside of boxing as well. And and that's something that is always questionable when it comes down to the sport. And we've always talked about certain promoters and, and you in particular, how you mentioned about you know, the promoters are always in it for themselves and, and sometimes the managers are, are out there to kind of take as much as they can from the fighters and then do do a runner on the guys and leave them with nothing. But for, for Butch Lewis at that first sort of few years of, of Michael's career, it was it was very significant because he was investing money into sort of bonds and, and things that were going to get a return on them. So it was always sort of setting him up for, for life after boxing as well, which I found really interesting because there's not there's not many of these guys about anymore that are there to kind of give that advantage. And, and obviously, we're talking about a completely different period of time. Like I say, the the nineteen seventies is totally different. So to have someone there at that time was was huge for him. Obviously, having having Butch Lewis there was was massive at that stage of his career. And obviously, his early his early professional career got off got off really well. You know, with this the first year, nineteen seventy seven, he competed six times. With obviously six victories in in that first year as a professional, beating guys with mixed records, of course, he wasn't expecting him to go in there with 50 uh, 50 fights in his first ten fights, of course. But you no, know, he, he got some good victories under his belt in that first year in nineteen seventy seven, which it set him up nicely for what we was going to see over the course of the next eight to nine years throughout his career. He was a really really un- unorthodox fighter, and that's something that we'll explore as as some of the fights come up, some of the big fights of his career but that first year then as a professional was big for him and also a little fun fact as well he's actually made his debut at a venue called the aladdin in las vegas
1: <laughs> yeah he did the aladdin paradise uh nevada us yes uh it was um on actually uh a, a, a heavyweight that um a lot of our followers like he was on the undercard of uh, ernie shavens uh, who ko uh howard smith in two rounds, and I mean, the one thing I did find quite interesting with Mike Spinks is obviously he fought at light heavyweight um, and he fought when he debuted at light heavyweight. He he actually weighed 108 pounds, uh, which is interesting. Um, You know, these were the days before you had a super middleweight that was recognised super middleweight and before the cruiserweight. So, you know, the light heavyweight was the division just below the heavy. So um, weighing in at 168 pounds, um, he probably would be fighting at a super middleweight if he had turned pro today. And obviously, yeah, he did, you know, as you say, you're not going to stick him in Straight away with any big, real big names. I mean, he he beat a few guys. Um, it all sort of he had those fights in '77, didn't he? Uh, sort of turning pro in April, and he had quite a few all the way up until sort of October. So he sort of had what six fights. Um, and uh, you know, I suppose the one guy with, with a sort of—they all had pretty much winning records. Um, but the one fight that sticks out for me is the Ray Elson fight. He, he was a 15 and two fighter at the time, and he got rid of him in one round. So you know, he was—he uh, was doing well um, for those. It sort of through 77, um, and it was sort of as he went moved into 78. The problem with with Mike was was that, um, which I didn't know, um, and I later found out was that he actually uh, had knee surgery. Um, which which sort of delayed his career in 1979, um, and that was the reason why he sort of had the one fight in um, 19 uh, in 1979. Sorry, so it's the one fight, he had one fight in 79. He had two in 78, and in one fight in 79. And and basically, the knee surgery just delayed his career, um, and also his brother Leon um, was actually sort of he was struggling a little bit uh, with, with drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, he, he did actually fight um, on the uh, Leon Spinks Muhammad Ali uh, the first fight. He was on the undercard against uh, when he fought Tom Bisa, um, and which was on um, fifteenth of February nineteen seventy eight um, in Las Vegas, the Hilton. Um, and yeah so he was on that undercard, and as I say, his career did take a, a slight delay.
2: Yeah, and it's something I didn't know either. To be fair, I didn't know that. That, that you know, obviously, with, with us being uh, of a certain age, and you know this in 2019 some of this information is quite difficult to find out you look at the record and you wouldn't have put two and two together as to why he only had that one fight in 1979 but digging back through the records, you can see that was a bit of a delay, but to be fair, even though it, it put a bit of a hampering on his career at that stage, it never affected his the the, well, the way he competed in the light heavyweight division. Because as we'll go on to, to to discuss and explore throughout the fights and his campaign in the light heavyweight division, you know this guy is is regarded as as one of the greatest light heavyweights of all time, and there's a reason for that, and it's because he beat the best of the best that were there at the time in the light heavyweight division. And as he moved into 1980, this is where you know he starts to step up. In the level of opposition now and uh, one fight in particular before he got his first world title shot that people do speak about still today about Michael Spinks is the Yaki Lopez fight he beat Yaki Lopez who was 49 and 10 at the time he fought Michael Spinks so he actually was expected to go in there uh, and, and have a really 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 tough night against Yaki Lopez but the unorthodox style of Michael Spinks was something that people don't really appreciate. Looking back on him as 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 a, as a fighter. And 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 as we explore later on down the line when he moves into the heavyweight scene, there's a lot of people that remember him for certain reasons and not for the for the reasons as a professional fighter and what he actually did down in the light heavyweight division. But there, when he got into the ring and and he beat Yaki Lopez, that was for me that was that was a big victory. That was the first significant victory of his career, knocking him out within seven rounds.
0: fight me differently for all the rest of them. So um, I just uh, took my time and I figured he was going to be wide open for the Sphinx Jinx because like
2: I said Lopez fantastic guy fantastic name's on his record been in with some of the best at the time and for him to go in there and beat Jackie Lopez in that fashion at the age of 24 was huge for his career
1: it really was and and the the, the full fight is on youtube and and really I would advise anyone to go back and, and look at it I got a little star by it this was a defining night for, for Spinks Jackie uh, Lopez had four um Four failed attempts at world titles, and um, you know it was one of Spinks' most entertaining fights. Uh, it, it was a beautiful right-handed uppercut that set up the finish for an excellent right hand, and, and I tell you what, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute key to the finish. Uh, and Lopez really did get stopped in, in, in emphatic fashion, and um, it moved and it made people stand up and take notice of, of, of this guy, this young guy coming through, Michael Spink.
2: Well, then we move on, and then he gets the victory over Willie Taylor and then again another victory this was in 1981 against former light heavyweight champion Marvin Johnson this for me again watching back on this particular fight just sort of led me to believe that if you're watching Michael Spinks at this period of time you're starting to get very excited about the potential of this guy becoming a light heavyweight champion because he goes in there he beats a guy who'd who'd had four failed attempts but was shown he was at world level in Yaki Lopez and then he goes in there and beats a former champion in Marvin Johnson Johnson so this for me was the uh, another I don't want to say he's defining but I do want to say it's it's certainly significant on his path to becoming an undisputed light heavyweight champion of the world
0: Johnson out of the southpaw stance working effectively on the inside there you see the way he scores with those rights and left quick chopping blows right there any foot movement. Ring small, 17 feet, 5 inches. Oh, good right to the belly. That hurt by Spinks against Marvin Johnson. That's the way to do it against Johnson. Eddie Mustafa Muhammad proved that. That kind of blow will slow Johnson up in a hurry. Minute 10 seconds. Oh,
1: Absolutely, and this this made a huge statement. Uh, another big fit, victory, and Marvin Johnson, obviously, is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Johnson had lost the WBA strap almost a year to the day against Eddie Mustafa Mohamed by 11th round TKO. None of the top light like every at the time, so Eddie Mustafa, um, uh, Mohamed, uh Victor, Galindez... Um, who was actually KO'd by Johnson in the 11th, were able to finish off at a World Boxing Hall of Fame inductee in that sort of style. And it was a stunning left uppercut, which knocked Johnson clean out. Uh, and it was also an eliminator, although they didn't call it eliminator, but it was an eliminator for a shot at the WBA holder, who was Eddie Mustafa, um, and uh, and basically, it, it put him in pole position to move on to fight him and stuff. It was his next fight. Uh, and uh, Mike does say after, he said, uh, I saw the picture-perfect uh, the, the picture perfect left hook, and then I took it. I don't think anybody would throw a better left hook, Spink said. And he basically said, hey, if he got up, then I would have quit that day. So, you know, it, it, it was an absolute belter of a shot. And, and, and Marvin Johnson, again, as I say, No one did that to Marvin, uh, and he got rid of him before, and it was just brilliant. And again, another one on YouTube, please check it out. Uh, It is just a stunning finish from White Spinks.
2: So that led on nicely to what was going to come next for him. His shot at the light heavyweight title against Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, WBA World Light Heavyweight title, 18th of July 1981. And this, again, is available on YouTube, so... Go and watch these fights that we were talking about in the episode because these, you know, these fights are so underrated. And I can't stress enough how underrated some of these fights are. People always say, "Oh, your go-to fights are like your Gatti Ward and your Hagler Hearn's." Yeah, of course, of course. But you know, these are very, very underrated fights. These are fights that actual people that are in the sport now can learn from as a professional fighter. So the Eddie Mustafa Muhammad fight. This was very significant. Obviously, he was the he was the light heavyweight champion at the time. WBA light heavy weight champion. Tough son of a gun. This was going to be a very difficult night for him. He'd had the title, he defended the title three times uh, and then he lost to Ronaldo Sne- I can't really pronounce his name. Ronaldo Snipes, or Snipes uh, in <laughs> May of 1981 and then got in the ring obviously with Michael Spinks in July of 1980 and it was a Brilliant fight! It was an absolute brilliant fight, and if you go back and watch that fight, you'll see the levels that he'd stepped up in. So if you if you're listening to the to the episode now and you're thinking to yourself, oh yeah, I wanna go and watch the. what I would suggest is. Go and watch him sort of in chronological order of of Spinks' career. You know, watch the Marvin Johnson fight and then watch the Eddie Mustafa Muhammad fight because you'll see the difference in the levels that he stepped up to. And this was a great night for him because he actually went in there and and, and did a really good job picking up the title and beating Eddie Mustafa Muhammad. He actually dropped Mustafa Muhammad in round 12 and then obviously went on to to beat him in a 15-round decision. But, Johnston, I know you've watched it. I know you've looked back on it. What a hell of a fight this was.
1: I did for me, is an absolute must-see. Um, Eddie Mustafa, Mohammed, again, uh, another Hall of Famer. You know, these are, you know, we just spoke about Johnson, Eddie is another one. Um, it was just, uh, you talk about his unorthodox style, the way he was sort of popping out of that jab and follow it up with a right, how quickly he, he would throw that one too, throw in the jab and just follow it up with a right. You know, he used his feet well. It was just, it, it was just, it was an outstanding form that night. And, and Eddie Mustafa couldn't deal with him. Um, I mean, Eddie Mustafa almost actually lost the Outside the ring, when he actually failed to make weight on the day of the fight. But um, basically, he managed to, uh, to, to to strip off the weight. Uh, you know, went off and done his, I think he used a skipping rope and went in a sauna and eventually came back and made the 175 pound limit. Um, and the one guy that was sort of in and around at the time was, was Sad Mohammed. He's, he was the other sort of guy that. Eddie Mustafa was hoping if he gets past Sphinx then he will end up fighting Sad Mohammed and they could earn this million dollar fight which was in the horizon and Sad Mohammed was, was desperate for Eddie Mustafa to actually win and there was even a moment where Sad Mohammed even interrupted um, a Sphinx news conference to say that the wrong fighter had won which caused a bit of a stir and uh and Mike sort of just said, you know, uh, you know, he, he just he, he just let him sort of rat on, and and then he basically said that you know he he deserved it, um, and uh, so yeah, it was it was quite interesting how uh, Saad Mohammed, who's who's going to be opponent for for Eddie Mustafa. Um, but he, cause he cause, you know he, he's on the verge of earning his money and then um, Spinks wins it and he got the, the, the wrong man won, which it was quite funny, really. And um, But yeah, Spinks, again, he was just outstanding that night and, and I'll absolutely tell anybody that hasn't seen the fight, go back and watch it. Um, Eddie Mustafa also, just a, just a little fact for you, he was actually in the film, uh, Raging Ball, if anyone has never seen it, um, and he actually played uh, Billy Fox, who was an opponent uh, for Jake LaMotta. So just an interesting fact for you there, that Eddie Mustafa.
0: With the
2: invasion boat as well. So we move on then from obviously that first title in his career, getting that victory. He makes three, four, I think it's three or four defences. Um, before he moves on to another significant fight. I, I think it was around, in fact, it was around about five defences he made of that title, picking up TKO victories against Wenzel Johnson, Mustafa Wazaja, Murray Sutherland and Jerry Celestine, picking up all them victories, fighting in the Playboy Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, <laughs> defending his title in what a what a great place to defend you, you, your worldwide <laughs> heavyweight title in the Playboy Hotel and Casino. I bet that was a, an interesting night afterwards, weren't it? Definitely. But oh, but going on to to, to, to to the fight with Dwight Muhammad Kwai, I think this is where we need to sort of touch on some of the sombre moments in the career of Max Binks. Because prior to, to, to this fight being made, in his life, it was a massive turnaround because, unfortunately, his wife had passed away due to a tragic car accident at the age of only 24 years, leaving him with only a two-year-old daughter at the time. And I, I honestly, you know, I never knew this. I never knew it. Obviously, I know a lot about certain fighters and, and some significant parts of the careers, but it was something I never knew about Michael Spinks is that he lost his wife so young at that period of time with a two year old daughter as well. And just it was just so sort of heart wrenching to read. Obviously, both being fathers ourselves, it was kind of like, you know, how did he sort of manage this career? Of his and and still was able to be a father. He had the help of Butch Lewis there. When I was talking about Butch Lewis's relationship with Michael Spinks earlier, this was something significant because after the passing of his wife, Butch Lewis was there. He was looking after the money, but he was also helping looking after his daughter as well, which was I thought was a nice little touch at that period of time. The fight with obviously Dwight Muhammad Qawi was 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 massive. It was a, a big money making fight. It was for the undisputed light heavyweight championship at this time. The there was only two titles available so back in the day when we all talked about the best fighting the best there was only two titles available at the time WBC and WBA and Dwight Muhammad held the WBC and Michael Spinks held the WBA version this was the un- first one of one of the first big sort of undisputed light heavyweight bouts in, in boxing and, and what an absolute fantastic fight and fantastic night but before we go a little bit into that particular fight it was so big that obviously it was going to be broadcast by the big daddies of boxing at the time which was hbo they wanted this fight it's been rated as one of the best fights in the light heavyweight division of all time and there's a reason for it because it's absolutely fantastic
1: it really was it, it, was, it, was, it was it's an absolute stun it was it was billed as the, the brawl for it all um and i mean it was just just before the the fight with, with johnny davis in uh in sort of september uh 1982 if anyone you know that fight is a lot of these big fights they're all on youtube i literally i followed every fight from back to back all the way through his career and it was, it was just a great watch and i'd you know i advise anyone you know have got the time to do it but um yeah so like uh quarry was actually at at the johnny davis uh fight and, and it was it was being hyped up in the ring after so now that was in september and obviously as you say the tragic news of in january 83 where he loses his wife which is just dreadful and then obviously he's got this big fight um, and, and it is considered to be his best performance. Uh, considering everything that was going on after, you know, some, you know, who knows? I mean, how you can get yourself ready and mentally prepared, you know, sort of three months later to, to, to take on the biggest fight of your life. Um, and, and it just it just shows you that what Spinks is about, that, you know, he said the boxing, the training, that's what helped him get through it. Um, and literally just before the fight as well, um, it was his daughter sort of asked him if, if mum's going to see the fight and, and he broke down, you know, and that was literally moments before he sat and walked down that aisle to, to step into the ring. So, you know, really difficult emotional time for Spinks and for him to compose himself and produce the performance that he did was quite simply outstanding. Um, I mean, even saying that, even Dwight Mohamed Quarry, he had problems as well. He actually was diagnosed with pneumonia a week before the fight as well. So they both had their problems and they both produced... A, a magnificent fight, and it really is. It, you know, we, we we do legendary nights as well, Sean, and this could quite easily be a legendary night with everything that surrounds it and the build-up to it and then obviously the actual fight itself, it just didn't disappoint. And, you know, Sphinx was down twice in the eighth. One was called a Slip, uh, I, I do think it was more of a slip. The second one looked more of a knockdown. Um, but Spinks, you know, that was the only real... I mean, saying that, it, it was a very tight fight. But Spinks, the way he just popped out that jab, he dominated with, with that jab. It was... I think, you what, he, had, he had power in both hands as well, Spinks. And, and what a magnificent fight. It really was. And it was just, it was, uh, you know, under at the time, as you say, and the two titles on the line. And, and as I say, it's definitely one that um, maybe we should be looking at and putting in the poll, because it really was a fabulous fight. And, and one other thing was, it was actually... They they kept calling him uh, Dwight Braxton on the footage, and the reason for that is because Dwight Muhammad Quarry, which he changed his name from Dwight Braxton, is basically because of a selling aspect of it. It was uh, everybody knew him as, as Braxton uh, and not Quarry, so that was why it was always you always hear Dwight uh, Braxton on the footage. So yeah, just just an interesting point. They done it just to earn some more money for the fight, basically. Braxton
0: stalking Sphinx as he has the entire fight crowd on its feet in appreciation here. Braxton still unable to find him. The left hand over the head of Michael Spinks.
1: And Dwight Braxton is running out of time. He doesn't have that much time, Barry. And here, a fight, gets very, very desperate. This is the best time to frustrate a fighter. And time is running out, and you know you're ahead on points, and he knows he's behind. Spinks doing the right thing, he's boxing. Spinks still on his bicycle, trying to stay in the middle of the ring. It would appear that that would be all he would have to do to win this fight. He's doing a good job. You can see how much time Dwight Braxton has left. 23 seconds. Still trying to get his man on the ropes in the corner.
0: He has said, if I get him there, I'll win the fight. But he has about 15 seconds left to prove his point. There was a good left hand by Sphinx. And Braxton finally gets Sphinx
1: into the corner, but it is a case of too little and very likely
0: too late. It was a tremendously fought 15 rounds by both men
2: yeah yeah understandably so at the time obviously it's it's, it's a way of selling it to to the wider audience of course and massive victory for him huge victory for him and then we move into 1984, he only had one fight in 1984, and was returning his crown with 12-round majority decision over Eddie Davis. Now, it was interesting that they actually set the rematch with Quarry uh, for September of 1984, it, literally a couple of weeks before the fight was scheduled to take place, he actually got called off, because Quarry was injured during training, and also... It was in 1983, moving into 1984 that we had the inception of the International Boxing Federation, formerly the United States Boxing Association. So they had formed in 1983 and in 1984 they recognized Michael Spinks as their light heavyweight champion, so they'd, they'd obviously not been around too long. they were trying to sort of get this reputation uh, of being a, a you know a well regarded recognized governing body. Or, obviously Boxing Federation. So for them, this was this was big. They give Michael Spinks the title essentially because he was the one that had best, the best man in the division in, in quarry at the time. So he was then regarded after that as the IBF World Light Heavyweight Champion along with the WBC and WBA title. So in the fight with Eddie Davis, he had all three belts around his waist and obviously from there on in, this is where he has his last couple of fights before making that big jump up to the heavyweight division so before we move on to that heavyweight side of his career and some of the significant things that happened there i think it's only right that we should actually point out michael sping is actually in the history books is undefeated as a light heavyweight champion
1: yes he was undefeated in uh, in one of its most glorious eras um you know you, you look through it i mean I always we've done the power as our child is he's, he's the guy that I always say that he's the best um, like heavyweight and it was in a great era and um, this was another brilliant era you're talking you know, with, with all the Mohammeds with Eddie Mustafa and Quarry and Sad Mohammed who was also around at the time and, and Spinks you're talking about four excellent fighters um, I'm talking hall of fame world class operators and and he was undefeated as you say rightly i mean he was just what he did against the guys that was put in front of him is he got rid of him i mean he got rid of eddie davis also another fight which was interesting because he's the brother of johnny davis who he also beat so two brothers as well you know another another brother duo in the boxing um at the time it, sort of in in the, in the same division um and yeah before obviously he moved um at the last ever light heavyweight fight was against jim mcdonald who who was 16 and 0 with 15 knockouts he was uh, an ex-marine with a big punch and and again it's another fight to look back on i mean the first four rounds i watched i watched it the other night and the first four rounds were pretty all spinks but then from the fifth round it really does get going it is an absolute barnstorm of a fight and um and he rocks and, and spinks gets rocked a couple of times by mcdonald um but you know he, he shows great you know, spinks just as he does when he gets hurt it was it was a danger uh, and he and he ends up getting Rid of McDonald in eight, and um, and you know, it, one thing I I'm not quite sure what was worse because Butch Lewis was dressed up as Brutus the Barber Beefcake, he had like a Dicky bow on with no shirt. Um, but on the ref, who actually looked like a wee Jimmy Cranky for those that ever used to watch the Cranky or knew about the Rubat Cranky, just check out the ref, it looks like wee Jimmy Cranky, which was quite funny. But um, yeah, temp, it was the 10th third title defense from spinks and it was the last ever time we light, every and undefeated. I mean. And he, and it was all about homes. It was always in the background. um and eventually,
2: he got the fight. The fight with Larry Holmes is, again, something that I think should be widely recognised by the, the the wider audience when it comes to Michael Spinks' career because when we talk about it, it, Michael Spinks, everybody remembers him from getting beat by Mike Tyson in, in 91 seconds, the 91 second demolition job. Everybody talks about it. That's all people think about when they think of Michael Spinks. That's wrong because Michael Spinks was an undefeated light heavyweight, undisputed champion. That alone is 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 a fantastic career for anybody let alone for him to then move up to the heavyweight division and then fight Larry Holmes for the IBF title I'm not too sure I couldn't find anything in sort of the history books to indicate why he was given that shot at the IBF title immediately after moving up to heavyweight but I'm making the assumption that it was based on the fact that he obviously was undisputed uh, in the light heavyweight division and the IBF was one of the titles that he held at the time so they they brought him up to heavyweight which was always going to happen because of his size and his frame of course and he automatically got that shot at Larry Holmes did do you see anything more about whether that was the case? Whether he was just instated as the the, the mandatory challenger for that?
1: Yeah, I think I think what it was, it was it was actually Butch Lewis. He was the one that was really pushing for the for the fight. He was he was obviously undisputing. Who's a light heavyweight champ, and uh, Larry Holmes was under chasing Rocky Marciano as So he just kept calling that Larry Holmes. Um, many sort of pundits and boxing experts at the time were saying that there's no way Spiggs could fight a heavyweight. And then in the end, it was just it was made, and there was there was no one around for Holmes to take on at the time. Well, or, 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 as as what they say, as what Butch Lewis said, and, and sort of Larry as well. And and it was the fight that made sense, and with it being um, a light heavyweight moving up to heavyweight. With the historic chance of becoming the first ever light heavyweight to win a world heavyweight, and then obviously Larry Holmes also being forty-eight and zero at the time, and obviously one fight away from from chasing and and, and sort of joining. Rocky Marciano's 49-0 record. I think those two elements together made this fight massive. Um, and I think that was why it was made. I think initially it was meant to be happening before Jim McDonald. Um, and then Jim McDonald came in sort of, what well, last minute. But um, I think after the Freddie, the David Sears fight, they were saying, you know, we'll, we'll get that on. And then obviously I think because, it, I, I'm guessing because Larry had another fight and he, and he, he just wanted to make it his 49th fight. Um, and many tipped Larry to win the fight. So, I think that's where it come from, Sean. that that was from the assumption from what I got from sort of watching on YouTube and what I've read. So I just think it was more of a historic event. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: here is the decision of the judges. Judge Dave Moretti scores one hundred and forty-three, one hundred and forty-two. Judge Harold Letterman scores one hundred and forty-three, one hundred and forty-two. And Judge Larry Wallace scores 145 142 for the winner by unanimous decision and new IBS Heavyweight Champion of the World Michael Spinks.
2: Well it was a historic event of course because the winner was Michael Spinks. Michael Spinks <laughs> beats Larry Holmes via a controversial 15-round decision. So, this was, was, was big. This was big. And it was historic in the sense that not only did he move up to to heavyweight, from light heavyweight, to win a world title, but he was also, with the, along with his brother Leon, was the first pair of brothers ever to win world heavyweight championships. Only ever followed by... Vladimir and Vitali Klitschko which I found uh, insane to even think about and I think it's a fact that unless you're a, a, an absolute boxing historian who's got that wealth of knowledge you're not going to really know about this information so the fact that he's come up as undisputed like heavyweight champion undefeated goes in there beats a 48 and 0 undisputed uh, well unbeaten heavyweight champion should I say chasing the record of Rocky Marciano and let's not forget Larry Holmes in his own right was an absolute beast in the heavyweight division during that period of time. So for Michael Spinks to then move up and get that victory over him was was well, it was an upset. It was classed as an upset, and he was actually voted Ring Magazine upset of the year.
0: Seven years, the heavyweight champion of the world. When most people like Howard Cosell, Gil Cranston, Custom Martin, say Larry Holmes would never be the heavyweight champion, I went wrong somewhere and I became the heavyweight champion. I went wrong by beating every challenger came. I went against all odds and became the heavyweight champion of the world. Coming into the last days of the fight, I was kind of upset because of things that I was hearing from the Marciano family, especially his brother, upset me. I think he's back in the back. I never like to take anything away from a fighter and I think his family owes me a great deal for bringing this man back to life like I did for the years. I did. Not knowing anything about Rocky, not trying to put him down but I would and it's so easy for me to do it in spite of what anybody say I do what I want and this is probably why I lost because I said like it is and I will continue to say it and it take till the day I die. I'm 35 years old fighting young men, and he was he was 25 years old fighting old men. I can easily put him down, and I can easily say his brother in the back is for him. I mean, if you really really want to get technical about the whole thing, Rocky couldn't carry my jock strap.
1: Yeah, it was it was a major upset. Most people, you know, didn't give most experts didn't give Spinks a chance you know you're talking about a big jump um, I mean the one thing you'll see is if you watch the whole fight is on again uh, is the one guy is, is Mackie Shillstone, who was actually a nutritionist that Spinks brought in in 1982 for him to keep down the weight and to keep at light heavyweight uh, for as long as he possibly could and then what he actually did was he kept uh, Mackie Shieldstone as his nutritionist to, to gain the weight to make sure he can he's able to compete with these big heavyweights and you know, it, it was it was quite, the one thing you notice, uh, obviously it's 85, uh, and some of the work and, and the stuff that, that uh, Shillstone got things to do, where he was sort of running sprints instead of doing your traditional non-stop road work, he was sort of running 800 metres and then having a minute break and then 400, 200 metres, 100 metres, and it was almost like he was training for a decathlon, which is what I read, um, instead of sort of training for 15 rounds against homes, he was also doing weightlifting programme and it was like bursts. That's basically how he trained. And when you actually watch the fight, you can see, sort of ran from around five, six, and then as it went through, he's almost like blowing out of his arse, spinks when he's going into the corner because of the amount of effort he was putting in the, in the fight to make sure he keeps Larry on the back foot. And he actually said that that was how the training regime was. It was like intense for three minutes, and then it was a break, or intense for bursts. So he said, I was, I was panting, but I was in control all the time. And you could see from his performance, he was. I think he deserved to win the fight. And his speed was a major factor. And, and he jumped on Holmes from the off. And Holmes didn't really know what to do. I mean, the one thing we all know about Larry Holmes is that magnificent jab of him. One of the best jabbers in the world. And he was unable to get that jab away. Didn't really throw the right hand either. Um, and I don't know if that was something to do with himself or, or if it was just the way Mike approached that fight. But, you know, Holmes was massively disappointed. He felt like he won it. He clearly didn't. Um, and then he came come up with a quote, Larry Holmes, where he says, I'm 35 fighting young men. Rocky... Was 25 fighting old men to be uh, to be technical. Rocky Rocky couldn't carry my jock strap, He said, and he was hugely criticised for it with the remarks because he was, you know, how dare you mock Rocky Marciano? Kind of. He reckons the the actual fight itself was fixed. You watch it back. Any, I, I encourage anyone to watch this fight. It's a good fight again, um, and I know I believe that that might deserve to get the victory, but a historic fight and and it was historic for both fighters that obviously might become the first uh, to to win the light heavyweight and then go on to win the heavyweight which is just
2: magnificent yeah no it certainly is and this is this is why I I think genuinely this is why he he won this poll I mean a lot of people including yourself, I think we're surprised that this didn't go to to Ezard Charles. and, And actually, Michael Spinks got the vote on the career profiles poll. And, you know, when you look back at it and we talk through it, it makes it more prevalent as to why a lot of people probably voted for him when you say it like that, it's it's actually massive accolades really when you think about it, so obviously he beats Larry Holmes, it was a unanimous decision the first fight, just correcting myself from early, it was the second one I was thinking of when it was a split decision now the second one was significant as well because obviously it was a rematch and secondly it was part of that unification series in the heavyweight division that we've spoke about in previous Legendary Knights episodes, so they had this tournament with obviously all the champions eventually looking to meet for one undisputed unification fight. Very much similar to what we've got with today's World Boxing Super Series, trying to get all the champions in there to all fight each other and and go to the final with all the belts being sort of undisputed to to one particular champion. We know Alexander Usyk, cruiserweight champion, he won all the belts in that division. So this was what this was leading to in the heavyweight unification series. So in 1986, Spinks and Holmes fought that rematch, uh, and this time it was Spinks winning by a 15 round split decision and retaining that world heavyweight title which again, significant, so not only did he go in there and beat him once he beat Larry Holmes twice which I think is, again, we can't really credit Michael Spinks enough because we we can't really sort of give justice to how good Larry Holmes really was at that period of time, He he was one of the best heavyweights in boxing history he's gone down as a Hall of Famer because of what he did in the heavyweight division and for Michael Spinks to come up and jump up that weight class and beat him not once but twice again for me is is massive and it's a huge achievement.
1: A massive achievement, and and again, um, I mean, the credit to Bruce Lewis as well was the fact that you know it was he finally started to earn some money. Spinks got a purse of two million, Holmes got 1.25 million for that rematch, um, and 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 again, I mean, it was a closer fight. I, I Personally, probably. I mean, I've only watched it once, and I felt Holmes probably just just edged it. To be fair, but again, Sphinx. You could you could have gone either way. It wasn't really like a, a nothing controversial. Obviously, Holmes felt like it was, um, and he, he ended up going into retirement for a couple of years following the defeat. Um, and he even said, "H. Uh, can kiss my big black behind."
2: <laughs> he
1: made me laugh. Um, but yeah, Spinks. I mean, let's, let's, let's get it right. I mean, he wasn't. You know, as I said, 168 pounds, first ever fight. He wasn't a natural heavyweight. You know, Spinks was was a, was a light heavyweight, and, um, he, and today. I mean, could you imagine him fighting? In Giants today, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's a bit ridiculous, really. Um, how many super middleweights today could you see going to fight Anthony Joshua? I'm telling you now, not many. I don't think any, to be quite honest with you. Um, it's like putting Callum Smith in against Tyson Fury. Um, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem logical. But you know that just shows you again, Michael Spinks, how, how much of a fantastic fight it was. And I think people just they forget about that. And I think he gets forgetting about, forgotten about by the, I suppose, the casuals, the people that, that can't be bothered to actually look into what Mike Spinks was about. Um, and and again, I mean, the other thing was Eddie Futch was both their trainers. Eddie Futch decided not to go in either of their corners for the first one. Um, I can't quite recall what he did in the second. I don't think he went into either in the second. I'm not 100% sure of that or certain. Um, I don't really remember what in the second uh, two recently so I, I can't honestly tell you but um, so yeah Eddie Futch was behind Sphinx as well which again I mean Eddie, Eddie's a, a legendary trainer um, and, and as you I mean you mentioned with R- R- Sphinx just he's unorthodox un- un- style but he had power in both hands and, and to do what he did at heavyweight I mean it's just exceptional it really is I can't tell anyone enough how exceptional it was and, and even moving on to Stefan Tang- Tangstead, who um, who wasn't a, you know he was a European champion wasn't anything massive um, um, but he's actually winning again. Spinks went in, and, and Tangsted was the favourite for this undisputed tournament that was going on. Um, and and he, he dealt with him; he got rid of him in four rounds. So you know, Spinks again proving people wrong. Um, and the inevitable was everybody talking about, obviously, Tyson in the horizon.
2: Yes, certainly was. But it was interesting that you know we, we talk about where what led on for for Michael Spinks after this. So obviously, after he beat Tangsted, he was due to fight tony tucker now this is where it becomes interesting in the history of of the the heavyweight division because at this period of time you've got mike tyson obviously absolute animal peak mike tyson at this point and then you've got michael spinks who obviously was the ibf champion at this point so in february of 1987 spinks was actually stripped by the ibf of his heavyweight championship for refusing to fight the number one contender who was tony tucker and guess who Makes another appearance on this podcast uh, on a different series. He always seems to be coming up. Mister Slippery's back again. Don King. He actually won the right to promote a Spinks Tucker title fight with a purse bid of seven hundred and eleven thousand. Now the purse bid was obviously to be divided seventy five percent, twenty five percent in favor of the champion at the time. So it means it would mean Spinks would have only got just over half a million. For that, So instead of doing that, because he refused to fight Tony Tucker, he decided to go for another matchup, which was going to earn him a purse of $4 million, which was Jerry Cooney. So I've got to first of all say, props to the bleeding IBF, because the IBF, even today, if the champion refuses to fight the challenger or doesn't agree to fight the mandatory challenger within a certain amount of time, they strip the, they strip the champion. So it looks like they've always been the same from day one by doing that to to Michael Spinks. So, Michael Spinks obviously then goes on to fight Jerry Cooner and knocks him out within five rounds in June of 1987. What was interesting about this is, although he'd been stripped of the IBF title, the Ring Magazine... I'd actually considered this to be a world title fight and also there was a dozen state commissions in America that also considered this to be a world title fight even though on record it wasn't. Which I found really interesting that although the IBF had took this stance and stripped him, it was pretty widely regarded that he was still a champion which is actually the point where... Michael Spinks is now known as a, as a lineal champion because of the fact that The Ring magazine regarded that fight as a title fight. Yeah, um,
1: sounds quite familiar, doesn't it, Sean? <laughs> uh, in terms of today. <laughs> um, yes, uh, he was the man that beat the lineal champion. Obviously, Larry Holmes. So, although no title no belts around his waist, um, he was considered the Linning heavyweight champion. And and you know, do, do you know what? When, when I first looked, as so I was looking back at this undisputed um, tournament, and I see that obviously Spinks decided to to fight Jerry Cooney, who who, by the way, I must say that you know, I think I think this guy was was tipped to be some sort of massive star. Um uh, and, and it <laughs> and they used to sell Jerry Cooney's fights. Unbelievable I mean, it, it, crazy. Uh, I think because he was white um, and he was like the big white hope, and uh, basically he he was he never had a chance against any of these guys. You stuck him in the ring with any of even Tony Tuck; these guys would have just played got rid of Cooney. Let's be honest, Cooney was was guided in a way that that fans believed this guy was was this big star. Um, hence why Sphinx got his biggest ever payday. I mean, it's four million dollars for it. It's crazy, and. uh and again, that's down to Butch Lewis. Butch Lewis see it, and he seemed, you know what? Let's be honest. He could fight this Undisputed Tournament, which was a set fee, by the way. I mean, you just mentioned what the, the money that he was going to get, which was like half a mil. Um, and I think Spinks knew he was the best out of all the other heavyweights. I think, he, I think for him, he, he knew that he probably would make the final and fight Tyson. Now, if he did make the final to fight Tyson for the Undisputed title, he would never have got the money he got in that fight he eventually got with him. So again, that's down to Butch Lewis. Butch Lewis obviously seeing it what it is and saying you know what people still see you as a linear overweight champion you might not have the IBF but fight Cooney you know you're going to beat Cooney and you know Cooney had been in the ring for 13 months he fought three times since losing to Larry Holmes in 82 I mean Spinks even went into this fight as an underdog and, and I tell you what it is absolutely unbelievable that Cooney was ever a favourite to win this fight I mean you watched Cooney before and you watch Spinks and how anyone could ever believe that Spinks is going to lose this fight is beyond me but once again, you know, propaganda, the publicity and the boxing f- experts in the around They sold it and they sold it to the fans and the fans believed it. And they, it's crazy. you know. If you didn't know your boxing, you would never have known it. And um, if, if I was around at the time, 100% I'd have stuck a load of money on, my, on Michael Spinks to win this fight. And I would have been a rich man that night because I think I would have seen white for it. But uh, funny enough, at the end of the day, he gets the win and, and it moves on to this magnificent position. Where he fights Mike Tyson, um, and everybody wanted to see it. It was the fight of, for a long, long time. It's one of the biggest heavyweight title fights for a long, long time, basically. And um, yeah, it was. It was just from what I've seen of the build up, it seems brilliant. Um, obviously, it just didn't live up to the billing uh, in terms of how well it all panned out for Michael.
2: Well, it was actually built once and for all. It was huge. You go back on on. The, the history and you can actually see some of the great hype for it there's actually a, a great little advertisement that's been done promo for it where they, they've obviously kind of done it in a way where they've shot it where Tyson sort of stood on one side looking up at Spink because obviously he was the taller man and they're both sort of saying a few words to each other it's, it's corny as shit it's, it's a typical <laughs> 80's eighties commercial really and an 80's promo but actually it's, it's really nostalgic to look at and I really enjoyed looking back on that you know how, how it would have got you excited at the time for this because obviously this was the undisputed world heavyweight championship and that's not something that that happens very often in boxing with the politics of it these days so you know back at this period of time this you know Mike Tyson the the undefeated young hungry guy again you know the the former undefeated undisputed like heavyweight champion and and regarded as obviously IBF champion going going into this Tyson was actually the IBF champion going into this particular fight because he he beat Tony Tucker for the IBF version of the title, who'd actually won the vacant version against James Buster Douglas. So it all ties into one nice little circle, really, of, of obviously history and how things went on after this particular fight. But it was obviously massive. It was massive. This was, uh, at the time, the biggest fight and the richest fight in boxing history. It was around about 70 million. Is what was made from this fight. And Tyson received 20 million. Spinks received 13 and a half. And obviously the, the, the rest is history really. Isn't it? This particular fight is, is, is massive. It's massive. But it's also one of the things which I think is. It's sad for for Spinks in his career and and how people look back on his career and remember him. Uh, I, I, you know, as the guy who got sparked by Tyson in ninety one seconds. Now it was interesting when I read back uh, about Spinks's recollection of that particular fight, and he actually said, you know, he wasn't even nervous as as much as what it looked like on on the footage he actually said he went into the fight as he did for any other fight but most people when they watch the entrances and and the demeanors and the way the body language was you know in the ring it looked like Tyson had already won that fight before the fight had even started and it was crazy to see the events (laughs) unfold and and watching back on it as, as one of them fights where you said it quite rightly absolutely hyped up massive fight but in some respects didn't deliver the way people wanted it to because it was a one round blowout
1: yeah and I'm with you it really is Uh, I mean I'm just sort of running through Sphinx's career I mean I was one that said he did look petrified I mean he did look quite scared to me I still think it today I mean he even turns around and he said in a recent um, I think I don't know how recent I think it was like a couple of years ago he said man I wasn't scared one bit there was always nerves and worries I, if I've had a problem in camp or something like that but I went in feeling okay there were times I felt like I might get knocked out but I'll say every single Mike Tyson opponent has had to imagine that but I wasn't scared in the slightest
0: lands the head of Mike Spinks. It's Tyson all the way here in round number one. Vicious shots to the body. Nothing really heavy landing yet, but he's taking them. The uppercut. Body shot. Down goes. Mike Spinks for the first time. The count is up to four and five and six and seven and eight. That was a body shot that took him down. Here comes Mike Spinks in. He leads with the right hand. Down he goes. I don't think he'll get up from this. Mike Spinks is laying flat on his back The count is up to 5 And 6 And 7 And 8 He won't be able to do it It's all over Mike Tyson has won it Spinks almost fell back through A dramatic first round knockout For Mike Tyson Unbelievable strike It came
1: in the first round so to his credit, he still to this day he said he wasn't scared. He said that he knew he was up against it. Mike had the had the beating of him for power, strength, and youth. He felt he had the legs, experience, and speed, but his speed let him down, and that's what, how he sees it today. I mean, he get he gets questioned a lot about it, and, and he, it's probably one of the first things he gets asked, which is which is ridiculous because I mean, I, I, to be honest, I look at the Spigs brothers, I think Leon beat him early, and I always think I, I always thought uh, of Mike. Spinks losing to Mike Tyson. Um but sort of going through his career, you know, he spent over twenty one hours in the ring without defeat, totaling thirty one fights, twenty one knockouts. He was the undisputed light heavyweight champion, defeated four Hall of Famers, made history by becoming the first ever light heavyweight champion to win a heavyweight title, yet Sphinx is always remembered to be that guy that got knocked out by Mike Tyson in ninety one seconds, which is sad because you know, we're going for his career now and he's just, you know, he's one of the best. He's one of the top boxers that will go down in history and, and rightly so. I mean, the rumours are out there that apparently with, with Butch, Butch Lewis apparently spotted a slight lump in Lewis's gloves um, and he asked him to be redone. Um it was nothing in there. It was just it was I don't know, they reckon it was like an air bubble or something or it was nothing basically. And it apparently pissed Tyson off and Tyson was apparently hammering on the walls and, and Spinks was in the other room and he could feel the room shaking. And that's what people the myth is is that, that that's what sort of scared Spinks before he walked out. Um I just think that whoever Tyson had fought that night in the heavyweight division. And you've got to remember that Spinks wasn't a heavyweight. I think he's going to do that to anyone. He was just a monster. And, uh, you know, unless you're going to put him in with elite fighters like Ali and people like that um, and John Lewis, hey, then, you know, Maybe it wouldn't have gone that way, but Sphinx wasn't heavyweight, and Tyson would have destroyed many, many heavyweight in the form he was in at that moment,
2: at that time. I think we need to put this uh, the the magnitude of this fight this time into a little bit more s- perspective, statistically. So I was talking about some of the revenue from earlier on. Uh, so it grossed around seventy million, which was ten million more than the previous record holder, which was the Marvin Hagler Sugar Ray Leonard bout in nineteen eighty seven. 12.3 million dollars came from the 21,785 line gate that came in. You had a further 800,000 tickets which were sold at closed circuit television theatres. So it basically they'd put it on in the cinemas for people to go and watch it in the cinemas. So they sold over 800,000 tickets for that. that. That generated 32 million dollars alone and wow. it was just absolutely crazy. It's estimated to have generated 344 million in gambling revenues in Atlantic City over that typical four-day weekend which again so you've got thousands of people there gambling all sorts of of money which I thought was ridiculous and obviously when we get a big fight it still happens today all the celebrities come out the celebrities come out, your former world champions coming out, uh, you had guys like Sean Pence, Sylvester Stallone, Jack Nicholson, you had Oprah Winfrey, Billy Crystal, you know, these are all people well known at this period of time in the 80s. Carl Weathers, who plays Apollo Creed in Rocket, and you even had Chuck Norris there at ringside for this particular fight as well. <laughs> so yeah good old Chuck so you know this was absolutely crazy and then another interesting bit of information I found out about it was uh, there was obviously a lot of predictions given for this particular fight and the majority of the predictions actually went in favour of Tyson there was only three that actually went for Michael Spinks that one of them was actually Bert Sugar and the other one was Sugar Ray Leonard uh, and the other one was Wallace Matthew who was a sports writer for, for Newsday the rest of them were people like Andrew Angelo Dundee, who significantly actually predicted it had ended in one round. So Angelo and Dundee said this fight was going to be over. Tyson knockout out in round one. So yeah, yeah, he got that nailed on the head completely. But going back to what you were saying there about the career of uh, Michael Spinks this is what a lot of people remember him by and I think it is really really sad that, that, that the magnitude of this fight and the sort of letdown of Spinks being seemingly demolished in one round was was, was kind of A lot, really, for him to take. And at the age of 32, which is what he was when he fought Tice, you would have thought he would have been able to come back from this, but he'd made the decision a month after losing to Tice to actually retire with all his faculties intact and money in the bank. And I've got to give credit where credit's due for actually staying away from the sport because a loss... As devastating as that could could send you into all sorts of spirals of depression and could put you into a position where you feel like you've got to come back to redeem yourself. So all I can do is give him credit for that. The same way Marvin Hagler did when he retired after losing to Sugar Ray Leonard. When he lost to Sugar Ray Leonard, he decided, that's it, I'm done with the sport, I'm out of it. And that's exactly what Spinks did as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'll give him him absolute credit for it. Um, You know, he he said that he felt that he had gone as far as he could have gone in his professional career and uh, he didn't want to climb back up the ladder to start over again and try and get back to that level. Um, I mean, reading between the lines and sort of reading other people's perspective. um, I mean, we mentioned the knee surgery he had early in his career and he sort of had that Slight delay. Um, apparently, that was something that was playing effect. And, and when you watch Spinks, especially with him being in the heavyweight, in the way he fought Larry Holmes, for instance, I mean, he needed his legs, especially against someone like Mike Tyson. I think any fighter that fought Mike Tyson in '88 would have needed their legs, and they needed to take this further. Um, it would have been interesting to see if he didn't get caught, what would have happened. Moreover, uh, Tyson would have. What, what would have happened if we if had moved in sort of like in, from six rounds, say? and whether Spinks, I think Spinks would have taken over in that fight. Um, obviously, you know, it, 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 it was what it was, and he got done in 91 seconds. Um, it, it is a shame. But uh, again, I mean, you've got to give the guy credit to turn around and say, Do you know what, I've, I've had enough. Um, and uh, it says something about him as a person, really. You uh, know, had, he had that traumatic moment in his life. You know, he was a single parent for a long time. I still believe he is. I, think, I don't think he ever remarried. I didn't quite dig. Too far into it, but um, I mean that that yeah, it's just that's just so sad, really, what happened, and and you would just you can't even think about it, you can't even fathom the thought of something like that happening. And and I think from that, and obviously from from being brought up in in a tough. Projects as well. So when people turn around and I mean I've been quick to say that he looked petrified when he fought Tyson. Jesus, you're coming through a life like that. I don't think you. I don't think Mike Tyson's going to scare you in a ring. Um, so so maybe I've probably jumped on the bandwagon a bit as well and thought he did look petrified. But I've got to give him. His, his absolute respect for the fact that he, he did walk away from the game and and he he's, he's quite happy to be quiet and just living the living off the money that he's earned. And, and that's that's just you know you don't see it very often. The amount of times we speak about fighters that just continually fight throughout their careers and then start losing to guys that they should never, ever be losing to. It's really sad to see, you know, how, how much you spoke about Muhammad Ali and how we can't, I can't take myself to watch that Burbik fight because it's just dreadful to watch and seeing Ali in, in the condition he was and, and Spinks to his credit decided, you know what, I can't be bothered to be trying to get myself back in shape and trying to push up. I'm just going to walk away from it. And, and, and as I say, you know, for me, he will go down as definitely one of the best light heavyweights and one of the best fighters, you know, in in, in boxing history, and and he deserves that a bit more credit than. The 91 seconds that we all mentioned against Mike Tyson. Hopefully, something like this career profile is going to help with with, with the youngers that that are listening. And you know, he even said himself that. Most of the kids don't have a clue who I am, but they listen um, when they all see the gold, he says. So I don't know what he quite means by that, but I suppose he's trying to say that, you know, once people have got titles behind their belt, around their waist, and that's when they believe these guys are the best. And, and you know, Spinks was one of the best. And, and, and I advise any of the youngsters that have never seen him or didn't know much about him other than the time. Fight. Go back and watch this, this guy because he was unorthodox. He had a fantastic jab and the jinx Sphinx, man. The jinx Sphinx was that right hand, and he was well known for that jinx Sphinx and it was he finished. Many
2: top top light heavyweight. I think we need to put it into perspective uh, in another way as well about how well regarded he actually is and and should be in this generation. So obviously he's generally considered one of the greatest light heavyweight champions and fighters of all time. You know he's the only light heavyweight champion up until the year two thousand and eight to remain undefeated in the entire history of the division since its inception. It was nineteen oh three the light heavyweight division was brought into boxing and until Joe Calzaghe. Came along uh, in the light heavyweight division in 2008. Michael Spinks was the only heavyweight champion to remain undefeated. So that alone, massive, massive achievement to, to to get there. And he's actually the only reigning light heavyweight champion to win the heavyweight title. And the Ring Magazine in 2002 actually ranked Spinks as the third greatest. Light heavyweight of all time behind Ezard Charles and Archie Moore, who obviously were both in that poll as well. So, you no, know, he wasn't. He wasn't just that. Like, he, he'd actually won the, the the undisputed light heavyweight championships in a period which was so deep for competitiveness. And you were talking about obviously the the three Mohammeds earlier on in the light heavyweight division, who obviously were were tough tough men. And I think you know if they were around in this period of time, you know, like with the likes of Kovalev's and Bivols and obviously Gerdevich in and. ABFs, you know, any of them would have give any of these current guys an absolute run for the money, 100%. So you know the fact that the ring magazine have ranked him in there they've ranked him in also the list of 100 greatest punches of all time at 42nd and also 80 of the best fighters of the last 80 years which was released in 2002 and he was ranked at 41st there as well so you know he was actually regarded as as one of the great fighters in boxing history and i think doing the episode that we've done breaking down his career going what he did in in his professional career and even in his amateur side of his career really puts fit for me into perspective about how great of of a fighter he was and moving into to to his retirement and his later years i think the most significant thing that happened there was something i was alluding to a little bit earlier in the episode about butch lewis now this was something i was i was surprised to sit down and read about knowing that obviously butch had really guided his career to 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 the dizzy heights of what he got to really so he'd actually remained close personal friends with him uh you know helping him train fighters making public appearances together and 2011 butch lewis passed away he died from natural causes. and then it was reported around that time that spinks had actually sued the lewis's estate alleging that the promoter had failed to properly manage more than 24 million dollars spinks had earned in the ring and that he violated their agreements uh and that lewis was continuing to manage Spinks's money and pay his living expenses for the rest of sphinx's life but the lawsuit had actually alleged that he'd got all his own personal funds and used sphinx's money to actually start paying off his own things in life and giving his children a better life using the money that Spinks had earned throughout his professional career as well which i found i was totally you know baffled a little bit disgusted and i was thinking you know is this what these guys do these promoters doing we've talked about don king and what he did in 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 his boxing promotion career, even though he's still going, and then there's people, you know, in this day and age, and you start to think to yourself, do these promoters really really do this? And the rant that you had a few weeks ago uh, on one of our one of our episodes was makes me feel even more looking back at history and looking today that i think the, the yeah i think you're right i think the only people promoters do care about is themselves and looking at that that was pretty bad and and as a result of all that happening and the money that was sort of purged from from Spinks's you know pot of gold essentially it ended up turning out that the money that he was supposed to use to to pay things you know, in Spinks's life like you know medical bills and health insurance it was actually Turns out he weren't paying any of them, so up fifty up to fifty thousand dollars a month were going unpaid. So Spinks had to actually invade his own pension, his retirement funds. He had significant tax penalties, and he ended up basically putting a lot of his money back in bills that had not been paid. But fortunately for Michael Spinks. He got out of the game at the right time. He got out with his health intact. And he actually lives in a seven-bedroom house uh, on a five-acre spread outside Willington, Delaware. So he's actually turned out to have a pretty good life after all that to be fair and and all the accolades that he's achieved in it and going back to one last comparison to his brother Leon who you know was uh, I think at some point I don't know if he still is has has, has actually been homeless has has ended up working for like minimum wage in the you know the the crummiest of places which I think is is really sad given that he what he did in his career
1: yeah yeah I I read the same thing Sean that uh, that Leon is still um, you know he's. I think he's still pretty much doing it I think he's actually got Alzheimer's as well Um, early stages of and and again Mike always says that his brother's doing well, he's still close with his brother, so I'm guessing he still looks after I was to say look after him, um, just being a support for him really. Um and, and one thing I mean they're chalk and cheese, Mike and Leon. Leon was out going, he was the one out partying and, you know, he enjoyed uh Life in terms of you know the party life and the high life, the fast life. Where his Mike wasn't like that. He was very reserved. He was a laid back character. You know he, he you know he, he was just he, he's just a, an all round nice guy. And when we do these career profiles, I can't help but try and find some sort of dirt on these guys. And and I'll be honest with you, I only found one on Mike, and that was before his wife died. And it was literally just a, a traffic stop where he got caught with a gun in possession of a gun i mean how many americans hold an unlicensed gun in america we, uh, I'm, I'm sure it rises into millions to be quite honest with you and it was just a, a one-off thing he never ever got in trouble for anything else and um and he, he, he you know he, everything he did in his life was, was for his his daughter and um and and as you say it's great he's still got all his faculties, and he just keeps himself to himself basically he's not um Extravagant in any way. You don't find him on television being a pundit or an analyst. He, he's literally quite happy to live his life and, and, and to be quiet, and, and, and that's that's what he wanted. And uh, Even from the point when he, he took forever to turn pro, you know, he was quite happy. Again, he was happy with his gold medal and he thought this is as far as he's going to go. And, and he's, just, he's just a nice guy by the sounds of things. And what you read and what you listen to from other people, and you how other people speak highly of him, even those that were in the Olympics with him, they always say uh, how much of a nice guy he was. But he was a leader as well, and many uh, many said that he was he was a bit of a leader. He could get a group together, could lead it all. So um, you know, that, again, it just shows you that this this guy Mike he was he was a, he was a nice guy, uh, and he also was for me one of the best light of the race Not the best light heavyweight, as I say, as are Charles, Archie Moore, Bob Foster, uh, Tommy Longren um, you know, even Billy Conn, they're all up there. Um, but for me, um, Spinks is definitely. I picked my top four. He was there. He would have been third or fourth for me, um, but that being said just looking back on his career and i'm pleased that he was voted for because he gave me the opportunity to to watch his career and look back on all these fights and i, and I urge anyone that you know who don't know much about mike is to go back and have a look at him as a fighter as i've said the jinx, jinx and he had power on his left he's right he had a fantastic jab he was unorthodox yes um but he was very significant in what he did and um uh, and he was just an, uh, basically all that nice guy and and a fantastic light heavyweight and, and people should always remember before that rather than the, the ninety one second destruction of Mike Tyson, which Mike Tyson would have destroyed many in eighty eight. So um, nothing to be ashamed of, and, and it's good to see, see Mike as you as you as you put it there, still living in his seven bedroom house and enjoying life, which is brilliant, and uh, that's great news.
2: So. I hope everybody that's listened to the career profile of Michael the Jinx Spinks has really enjoyed going into a deep dive about his life, about his amateur career and professional career and what he did afterwards and what he's up to now. We've really enjoyed sitting down to cover his career, finding out not only what we already knew, but a lot more about the career of Michael Spinks. So if you have enjoyed it, of course, please go and let us know on social media by dropping us a tweet at BTR Boxing Pod. Let us know your thoughts on this particular Career profiles episode, and as Michael Spinks as a light heavyweight, where would you rate him in terms of best light heavyweights of all time? Also, you can find us on Facebook, you can leave a comment on the page and on the episode please press the share button or the retweet button on both of them platforms and get this episode out there if you've not already followed us on any of the available podcasting apps you can do so find us Apple Podcasts rate, review and subscribe and you can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker Player FM Spotify as well so thanks very much for listening you've heard the career profile of Michael the Jink Big A dream is made real
0: Ricky rocks the world how do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klesko! Uh, let's get ready to rumble!
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.